the Inflation Reduction Act, it's now law. That means roughly $370 billion will be going toward different ways to prevent global warming, like tax credits for electric vehicles, funding for solar panels and wind turbines, and even the country's first so-called green bank. The act could spur experimental green energy research and solutions with a jolt of cash. So joining us now to talk about the ins and outs of this legislation and the new tech that could come out of it is Pranshu Verma, innovations reporter for The Washington Post. Welcome back to Reset, Pranshu. Thanks so much, Sasha, for having me. I mentioned a few things there that uh, this legislation would fund. What are the biggest points that people should know about? You know, so obviously there's billions to make electric vehicles cheaper. Gas and oil companies would have to pay more fees if they were high polluting. And like you said, more money for solar panels, wind turbines, and money for a green bank. But, you know, another thing that is really interesting is the number of tax credits, rule changes, and grant dollars that are being given to lower carbon emissions and reduce household power bills. And they're doing it in ways that are really beneficial for, like, some of these experimental, somewhat science fiction-y kind of ideas that people have thought have been really unattainable. But now, with this jolt of cash, as you said, there's, you know, a lot of motivation for investors to start investing in these types of technology and maybe making things that seem super far off maybe actual reality in the years to come. Mm -hmm. What's the timeline that we're talking about for some of these items? You know, some of these items we could see in the next five to 10 years, and some of these other items, maybe 50, 60, or 70 years. So there's a wide swath of uh, experimental solutions in the pipeline here. The Inflation Reduction Act, it's also uh, setting money aside for green energy innovation. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so it's basically... Using science uh, to and two methods, really, that we've seen. One is maybe reducing carbon out of the air or reducing carbon from manufacturing processes that are really popular. And then the other is using alternative sources of energy um, from either nuclear or from the Earth's core uh, to power and, you know, produce energy that is much cleaner, potentially, uh, and lower carbon emitting. So you're seeing, uh, you know, technologies kind of go around those two main themes here. Mm -hmm. You spoke to some climate change experts, Pranshu, and company leaders about how they plan to spend the money, right, including on, on something called a direct air capture machine. What's that? Yeah. So to the naked eye, right, Direct air capture machines kind of look like these big trucking shipping containers stacked on top of each other out in wide open swaths of land, right? And and what they do is they're designed to eliminate carbon either by sucking it, you know, out of the air and storing it deep underground or sucking that carbon, you know, sucking air in and taking carbon out and putting it uh, deep underground or into something that's removing it from the atmosphere altogether, uh, and so these types of companies have been on the rise in the past decade, but they've been pretty they've been faced with a pretty hard business case. It's been pretty expensive to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been government investment and interest from Elon Musk and interest from facebook and and Google's parent companies. Um, but now you're seeing in this inflation reduction act, 
you're seeing more money to make these types of technologies actually more economically feasible by giving tax credits to companies um, for every ton of carbon they capture out of the air. It sounds difficult to create. Uh, how many of these actually exist already, Ranchu, and, and how expensive are they? Um, you know, the expensiveness is still – there's still so few actually in in pilot. There's maybe a handful in northern Europe that are being tested. Um, and, you know, these machines can go in the upwards of millions of dollars. You know, they, they cost sometimes, you know – Four to five hundred dollars per ton of carbon to to operate, um, and you know this has been kind of hard for these uh, companies because they've been just putting millions and millions of dollars into this innovation. But right now, it's still a few years away from actually being able to generate cash or having people buy it, um, you know, on a wide enough scale to return a profit. I understand there's a rail car version of this. Yeah. So a little bit more, you know, fantastical again. And so imagine these shipping containers, but like make them a little smaller and make them look like a rail car kind of cylinder and plop, plop them on a train. And basically what they'll do is they'll just run around on trains that are already existing. Um, and they'll, you know, they'll get energy from the train's braking system, which is actually a really, you know, problematic issue for these carbon capture systems is, you know, the energy to run them. And so this solves the energy equation. Um, and then what happens is they do the same thing. They take, you know, they suck in air, they take the carbon out of it, and they store it in a reservoir. And then when these trains get to a rail yard or a stopping point, they'll dump out the CO2 into either some sort of CO2 tank or into a pipeline. And again, taking carbon out of the air altogether. So what incentive does the bill give companies to do this, to capture carbon using something like this machine we just talked about, for instance? Yeah. So what's actually happened is that normally companies would get $50 per ton of carbon they captured out of the air in tax credits um, before this bill. And what they would have to do to qualify for that tax credit would have to, they would have to have projects that removed at least 100,000 tons of carbon out of the air over a period of time, usually like a year. And now what they're doing is they're upping that tax credit from $50 per ton to $180 per ton of carbon they capture. And to qualify for this tax credit, you don't have to do a, a really restrictive 100,000 you know, ton project. You can do something that's as low as 1,000 tons. And so you've seen that that um, extra $130 from the government per ton of carbon is making the business case better for the companies, and it's also making investors believe that they'll get a return on their money, and it's going to help, uh, as founders say, drum up you know millions of dollars in venture capital or other types of investment um, to help you know move these technologies forward. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking with Pranchu Verma, innovations reporter for The Washington Post, about the Inflation Reduction Act and the green energy solutions tech that it would support. Pranchu, scientists have they've looked at ways to use geothermal energy as a form of clean energy. Is that something that companies are using much of today? There are some projects that use geothermal energy and they convert energy. So geothermal energy being energy that's taken from you know, the Earth's core, and then convert it into clean sources of power. 
there are small, you know, there are small projects that are definitely being used across uh, across the world. Um, but on a large scale, you know, there's there's some things that need to be done to make it, you know, as widespread as it would need to be to be a true clean source of energy. And and one particular concept I think um, that this bill is gaining, con- you know, giving traction to is is a type of geothermal energy that's called uh, super hot rock energy, and that energy solution is a little bit more, again, fantastical, where it's having, you know, researchers propose digging miles and miles, maybe 9 to 11 miles down into the earth, um, where it temperatures reach about 100, 750 degrees, um, and then push water down there. And the steam that then that generates is so hot and so full of energy, they push that back up, and mm. then it moves through a turbine, and that's what provides a lot of energy. But you know, that's been one solution that's kind of been considered years and years and years away. But again, you know, this tax credit, this bill is getting tax credits for geothermal technologies to spark for research and development. And people are seeing that this might actually benefit some of the technological challenges that this type of solution has into coming into fruition. Well, how much of the funding exactly is going to that, to the research portion? Uh, you know, so there's a few billion dollars earmarked into research credits, uh, and again, that's going to be spread over. Yeah. You know, that's going to be spread into multiple types of technologies. So we're still unclear as to how much will actually filter in specifically just to geothermal technologies, but more than has been in the past uh, couple of iterations of the bill. You spoke with uh, a group making concrete with less CO2 emissions. What did they have to say about what they do and and what the plan could mean for them? Yeah, so um, concrete, uh, surprisingly, accounts for about 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions every year. So it uh, makes sense. Concrete's a big, you know, foundational product in building houses and buildings. And so this company, what they do is they make concrete in ways that are less carbon emitting. And so the core element in concrete is cement. And cement is, and to make cement requires a lot of carbon greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. About one ton of cement emits one ton of greenhouse gases, uh, CO2. And so what this company is doing is they're going to concrete makers and they're giving them a solution that retrofits their facilities so that they can make concrete not with cement, but with something else called calcium hydroxide. Which, is, which emits m- much less CO2. And then what it also does is that the way these retrofitted facilities work is that in the last, pro- last part of the process to make a concrete block, instead of using steam to infuse it and make the actual block, they'll take carbon, they'll take CO2 from the atmosphere, uh, and they'll mold it into this block, and they'll lock that CO2 into that carbon block. And so the combination of using not cement but calcium hydroxide and CO2 to infuse this block and make this block, they can uh, reduce the amount of CO2 that's used for cement or for concrete from 70 to almost 100%. So it's a very, very impactful and potent way uh, to make almost, you know, carbonless uh, concrete blocks. Yeah. I have to ask, Iron, Iron Man already figured out how to harness fusion energy. But how much is the yeah. U.S. investing into that tech, and could this new package help? 
Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is investing tens and tens and tens of billions of dollars in fusion energy, both from government investment and venture capital investment. You know, fusion energy is considered the holy grail of energy because, you know, the energy that's gotten from, you know, two nuclei combining to form an atom and, you know, harnessing that energy then to make it into something that we can use uh, is considered, you know, at scale, low cost. Uh, unlimited clean and renewable energy, right? Um, but we're still a few decades away, you know, in places like Boston and in places like Silicon Valley, and there are a few labs, and out in Europe, there are a few labs that have these machines that can do work on nuclear fusion kind of processes. Um, and, you know, over the past couple of years, they've become closer and closer towards, you know, getting prototypes in place. But you know, you speak to any of them, and they're still thinking on a scale of 2035, 2040, um, as kind of when they'll first have anything in mm-hmm. market that we can see being used uh, commercially. So it's definitely a long way away. Uh, but talk a bit yeah. more, Pranchu, about the kind of doors that you think this investment could open for the energy industry. Yeah. So I think you'll find that uh, a big part of this is that companies that have experimental solutions in the works are going to find a better business case to present to investors. They're going to have tax credits or research dollars or other sorts of money from the government to help with their solutions. And so in the case where some experimental solutions, like a carbon capture rail car, might have had a little bit of trouble getting $10, $15 million of funding to develop a prototype, now we talk to those types of companies and, you know, investors are more eager to kind of give it a shot because the upside could be something that's, you know, gets widespread attention. But the down, you know, the downside in the past was, well, when will I ever see a return on my money? And so you might see that type of, you know, doors to new investors kind of opening here, um, most likely. So what are you most excited about the kind of tech innovations that Biden's legislation could spark? You know, I'm actually more, uh, I'm really excited about what it can do for alternative sources of energy, right? I I think if you look at systems like carbon capture, right, you know, one of the things that critics say is not good about taking carbon out of the air and locking it deep underground is that it doesn't do much to change behavior with society. Um, You know, it allows us to keep emitting carbon and then just taking out of the air. And so there's a reason why a lot of companies want to do this solution because it doesn't really, uh, you know, change behavior. But, you know, solutions, though very far out in the future, like super hot rock or maybe less out in the future, like fusion energy, if this can give that next little push to make, you know, these solutions come to market five years or ten years earlier, you know, as we've kind of talked to every climate expert, every minute kind of counts with the climate crisis. And, you know, individual action can only save us to a certain level. But these large-scale solutions that are being kind of talked about, if we can deploy them a few years earlier, you know, that could be the difference between meeting our goals for the net zero emissions and not meeting our goals and, you know, going to a few more temperature degree increase where uh, things can get really dicey. Pranchu Verma is an innovations reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.